Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and I am pleased to bring you the recording of our fellowship night that took place on Sunday evening, February 21st, 2021. Reformation Roundtable seeks to plant a biblically reformed church in Lewis County, Washington. We're moving closer every week to becoming a mission church, and our We're currently seeking right now 10 founding member families, 10 founding households to join our ranks before we go live. So in the meantime, while we're we're waiting for God to bring those households along, we're practicing our liturgy in anticipation of that glorious day when we actually launch as a mission church. And so during this fellowship night, the one you're going to listen to, we start practicing liturgies in the way that we haven't done yet. And so if you've listened to any of the other fellowship nights, you'll notice that this one is different. During this one, we follow a distinct liturgy. It's a time of exhortation and encouragement. We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's a time of corporate confession of sin. There's prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of petition. And then there's a discussion of covenantal child rearing. And then we finish the evening together with food and with laughter. And so if you would like to join us in this kingdom work, you are most welcome. If you join us, know that you will be answering the prayers that we are praying right now. We want more and more households to join us in the ripe harvest here in Lewis County. Please join us. And when you're on that page, check out the events tab. And on the events tab, you'll find a list of our meetings and our fellowship nights, past meetings and past fellowship nights. That's a great place to know what we're doing and when we're doing it. And also you're going to find a contact us tab. If you fill out that form on that page, it will put you in touch directly with me. And I can answer any questions that you might have. Really, the bottom line is this, though. We want you, and we hope, and we're praying that you will come alongside us in the work that we're doing. Well, that's enough from me. I hope you enjoy listening in on our evening and are blessed by the time of worship that we share together. And I hope that the Lord puts it on your heart to join us in planting a Reformed Church in Lewis County, Washington. Got a couple of announcements before we we, uh, we get into things, and the first one makes a lot of sense. It says new format four, and then I don't tell you what it is because <laughs> I, I printed this before I actually finished that thought. So, so the new format is um, what you're looking at right here is um, what is basically the um, culmination of a suggestion that Pastor Hatcher gave us, which was that as we move towards um, uh, mission church status, we should start to practice covenant renewal worship. This is, this is fellowship, this is Bible study, but liturgy literally means work for the people. It means like work that we do. And work requires practice, and it's, it's uncomfortable at first sometimes. Not always, but sometimes it can be uncomfortable. And so we're going to attempt, this will be one of many iterations of what, of what we uh, are convicted on as far as covenant renewal worship is concerned. So you'll see um, there's five lines, and they're all things that God is doing with us. So God is calling us into his presence. 
that he's cleansing us from sin, then he's consecrating us, or it's sanctifying or changing us into something that's more like Jesus. And then when we're an actual mission church, that's when we'll actually have the sacraments. That's when God feeds us. Um, we'll do communion then. And then uh, God commissions us, or he sends us out, back out into the world. So we're going to be practicing that tonight. This is just practice. This is practice, though. And so this is as, about as simple of a liturgy as, as it can come. And uh, so on Thursday, we're going to be talking about two things for our Thursday night discussion, um, one of which is the book Biblical Eldership, which I'll talk about in just a second. Uh, but, but then we'll also be talking about liturgy, and we'll be talking about this liturgy and the things that we want to make sure we include, the things that we want to make sure we don't include, the things that work and the things that don't. And it's a work in progress, of course. Um, so we'll be talking about liturgy this coming Thursday night, and that'll be at 7 o'clock. Uh, and then Biblical Eldership is the book. Um, there's actually, and this probably would make more sense for us in, in the interest of time, there's a, an awesome 50-page summary of the book, Biblical Eldership, which really yeah, it goes through a lot of the main, the main highlights of it. So we'll probably be looking at that. It's, it's free. And, uh, and it's a little bit more succinct. So, um, so I hope you guys can come on Thursday night for that. Uh, and then the last announcement I had. Somebody Did you send us a link to that already? Or, um, or? I will send another one. I, I have, but it was a while ago. It wasn't in the yeah. latest email. I remember. Thought that. Yeah. We linked it in one of the earlier emails. Right. Yeah. yeah. There, I think there's actually a website for biblical. It's called biblicalownership.com or something like that. And on there they have the download. But I'll, um, but I'll send it up too. But it's, it's you can find it uh, with a with a quick internet search. Um, okay. And then the last thing is just a, to, a request to pray. Uh, tonight we're going to have uh, three different prayers. Um, Les is going to uh, lead us in a corporate confession. Thad's going to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. And Luke's going to lead us in a prayer of petition. Um, but on our own, I just ask you guys to be praying for this church plant. Praying for 10 founding member households or 10 founding uh, families. Uh, pray for a location. Pray for a pastor. And of course, we want more than 10, 10, found, 10 family, mem family households. But 10 is kind of the, the number we're shooting for before we go live. So... Um, yeah. Is there any other announcements that we should mention before we get started? Okay. All right. So we're going to start with the call to worship. And this is um, under God calls us into his presence. And so uh, before we get started, the Lord's service, there's a couple different ways you can look at that. It's either you can look at it the way we serve the Lord. We come to church to serve the Lord. Or it could be looked at as how is God serving us when we come into his presence. And I think if we think about it as God serving us, it changes what we do to a response to him. And he's the one that is setting the tone. He's the one that's telling us what to do. And so we respond to him. So as God calls us into his presence, listen to the call to worship. It's from Psalm 96. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord... Has made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. 
Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigns. The world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful in all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Would you sing with me, O Worship the King? It's the first song in your packet. priest and our high priest 
is King Jesus. As priests, we have been called into the presence of the Almighty. As priests, we are told to do many things in His presence. We are told to sing, to sing a new song, to sing with the earth, to sing to bless His name, and to sing so that we might show forth His salvation. We are also commanded to declare His glory and His wonders. We are to declare this not just to one another, but to the heathens. In fact, the heathens are supposed to hear many things from us. We are to tell them that the Lord is a glorious king and is reigning. That this king has established the world and it cannot be moved. We are to tell them the good news. He is judge and will judge righteously. We are to tell that he has come and that he is coming again. For those who are oppressed, for those who have been beaten down by the injustice of the wicked, take heart. Your king has come and will come again. For those who are oppressing, for those who are defrauding and destroying the innocent, beware, your time is short. We are told many things that are. These are not things to do, but things that simply are true. We are told that the Lord is great, that he is to be feared above all gods, lowercase g. These little gods are sought by the heathens, and they're sought for salvation, but they are nothing but idols. We are told who God is. These are the words that are used to describe God. Honor, majesty, strength, beauty. These are words that are used to describe the very thing that makes these words mean anything at all. We are also told there are others in God's riotous and untamed creation that have something to say. We are told that there are more voices in this world than just our own. While these other voices don't bear his image, they nonetheless declare and experience the salvation of the God of creation. The heavens rejoice. The earth is glad. The seas roar. And everything in them roars right along. The fields are exultant, and everything in them is exultant too. Even the trees sing for joy. Why do they do this? They do it because they, like us, suffer under the weight of the sin of our first father, the first Adam. Because of sin, creation has also been put under a curse, and all creation groans. But the one who will lift that curse, the judge of all, the judge of and the judge for all the earth is coming and will judge not just his people, not just those who bear his image, but all of his creation. So where do we go from here? What do we do? Well, here's one thing. We can give. Psalm 96 says we can give to God the things that God requires of us. If he says to give him glory and strength, then strength and glory are what we will bring. This will be our offering, and we will do this through our worship. Think about this, that song that we just sang. Our songs are used by God to spread his fame throughout all of the unbelieving world. So we can give. We can also remember. We can remember that we are not bystanders. 
We are not simple fans sitting in the crowd watching God achieve a great victory. No, we are fighting for and praying for and hoping for and working for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, for his fame to spread from pole to pole and with it his salvation. We can give and we can remember to come into his courts with our offerings of praise and trust him to shake the world until the gates of hell fall at the feet of King Jesus. Knowing that we have been created for this work reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Lest we come lead us in support of confession. Good evening, church. First Kings 8, verses 28-29. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you today that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day. Heavenly Father, it is solely because of the gift of your Son in the, name, in the name of Jesus that we bring this prayer to you. This is your day, the heavenly day of rest, the open door of worship, the day when we unite to sing of your splendor and endless hymn to our great God and King. My sins are great, but the sacrifice of my Savior shed blood overwhelms and overcomes always. We confess that already today we have not loved you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We confess that already today we have placed ourselves above our neighbor. We confess the myriad times that we have taken you for granted. We confess our unforgiveness, anger, and bitterness towards those who offend us. We confess the times we have denied you with profane offerings coming from our surplus and indifference. We confess the hypocrisy, pride, and hubris that can so easily overtake us that we would deem our very own sin be worse on another. We confess that though you are the sovereign king over everything, so often we rule ourselves and lean on our own understanding. Lord, have mercy on us. We pray that, by your grace, we will live every moment of the remainder of our lives in utter thanksgiving to you, the great life giver. Lord, you are the great and awesome sovereign, the king over all creation. Yet the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. And as we ponder your infiniteness, your majesty, your righteousness and holiness, we join with the prophet Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But dear Lord, what a comfort, what a blessing it is that you have made yourself known to your people. You have revealed to us through your inerrant and infallible word that long ago you spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son, the heir of all things through whom also you created the world. We share the confession of the author of Hebrews that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Dear Jesus, what a degree of condescension it is that the Lord of glory would consider us, but consider us you have. By your very own sacred and blessed admission, you are gentle and lowly of heart. Lord, we know that this endeavor to bring a biblically reformed church to Lewis County has drawn the severe attention of the devil. You have shown us that 
this is the case whenever there is a great advance of the kingdom. And Satan is not a hapless enemy, as the beloved hymn reminds us. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. But thank you, Lord, for your word is explicit, that on the solid rock of the gospel and the confession of faith, you have built your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That although there may be many trials and tribulations that you allow in our lives, you have overcome the world. That even though Satan may demand to sift us like wheat, you are the great intercessor who prays that our faith may, may not fail. And as this body of believers goes forward, it is with the knowledge of your promise that you have asked the Father, and he will give us another helper to be with us forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But we know him, for he dwells in us and will be with us. So, dear Jesus, flood our minds with peace beyond all understanding. Please, Lord, let us never forget your great love. Lord, give us power by your Spirit to help us worship now, to forget the world and be brought to the fullness of life. Give us knowledge of your goodness. Let us live holy to our Savior, free from the distractions and pursuits that would impede us from following the narrow way. Lord, we are the beneficiaries of your great love, mercy, and grace. Let us be fully nourished by your word, your truth, your love. We pray that the motivation of our hearts and our conduct this evening would be a great aroma in your nostrils. And we pray in the name that is above all names, the name of your precious Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. People of God, hear the gospel, the good news. God has heard your confession and promises forgiveness to all those who confess. Your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to learn a new song. Well, it might be new to some of you. What wondrous love is this? I'll go ahead and sing through the first verse. And then after we get through the first verse once, we'll start back at the beginning and we'll go through all of it. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? Way. 
righteous frown. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb who is the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. Ye sons of Zion's King, join the praise, join the praise. Ye sons of Zion's King, join the praise. Ye sons of Zion's King, with hearts and voices sing, and strike each tuneful string in His praise. And strike each tuneful string in his praise. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, So people of God, our sins have been forgiven. We are cleansed from our sin. And so now, in that beauty of holiness, we offer our prayers of thanksgiving and then our prayers of petition. Dad, will you come offer your prayer of thanksgiving? So I'm going to recruit you to join in with me on this. I think it's good to, uh, for a corporate prayer to, that we actually are praying together. Um, so there's a line, and... and uh, the kids are going to be instrumental for this because it seems like the youth ratio, the, the younger someone is, the more willing they are to participate. So maybe the adults can kind of show me up on that or make, the, make me uh, uh, change my mind. But. So there's a phrase we're going to say, we praise you, Lord, with all that is within us. So I'm going to, that's going to be the first line of my prayer. And I'm going to go through kind of three stanzas. And I'll give you a little, so you have to open your eyes. You guys okay to pray with your eyes open? I'll give you a little... And that means we'll all say together, 
We praise you, Lord, with all that is within us. Let's try it one time together. Ready? We praise you, Lord, with all that is within us. Good. Okay. Pray with me. We praise you, Lord, with all that is within us. We praise your holy name. We praise you, Lord, with, and will not forget all your benefits. You forgive all our sins. You heal all our diseases. You redeem our life from the pit. We praise you, Lord, with all that is within us. You crown us with love and compassion. You satisfy our desires with good things. You cause our youth to be renewed like eagles. We praise you, Lord, with all that is within us. You work righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. You are compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. We, we praise you, Lord, with all that is within us. Amen. Amen. Join me in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we know that our sins are many and are forgiven, and that you are great and mighty, and, uh, and we give you all thanks and praise, Lord. We just pray for the church. We pray for the, the bride of Christ, uh, the global church. Pray for uh, churches in America, Lord, that you would uh, just light fires in our people so that we could worship you in spirit and truth. And we pray, Lord, for, for our own area, and we pray, Lord, for uh, Trinity Church and for their oversight on us, this group. We pray for Pastor Dave Hatcher. We pray for the elders of Trinity as they come alongside us in this venture. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up uh, a faithful, faithful group here and in our area as we seek to, uh, to form this mission church. We pray, Lord, that as we look to that, that you would be glorified in us in seeking to form this. Lord, we also pray. Uh, that you would grow our numbers, that you would add to the, our faithful families that are with us and to join us, that we might be able to establish uh, regular worship. And Father, we also ask that, um, that this mission church might be a, an unapologetically biblical church that would just bring a breath of fresh air and that would share the gospel uh, willingly and openly in this community. Lord, we just ask that you would give us clarity in forming our own liturgy, and for seeking a pastor when the time comes, and just for our faithfulness as this group. Mm -hmm. Father, when it comes to fellowship, we just pray that you give the health and well-being to this group, to everyone involved, whether they're here now or just have been partakers of along the way. We pray for comfort and healing to the So family. Specifically, we pray for improvement in, uh, in Andrew's health. We pray, Lord, for healing for Judy Myers' heart condition. We pray for wisdom for doc any doctors and, uh, and Leslie Moe's heart condition. We pray, Lord, for faithful covenant children who will love and follow Jesus all of their days. Mm -hmm. We pray, Lord, for each family here. We pray, Lord, for uh, the marriages. We pray, Father, that you would just foster healthy and robust marriages that would reflect the love of Christ for the church. And Lord, just bless our group. We, uh, You've given us so much, and we just ask that you would just return blessings to us, and we could be faithful to you in all of these things. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. 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 Amen.
going to sing Psalm 100. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth, His praise foretell. Come ye before Him and rejoice. Know that the Lord is God in me. Without our aid, He did us make. We are His folk, He doth us feed. And for His sheep, He doth us chapter 1 of Standing on the Promises, the biblical handbook for child rearing. And Spencer's going to actually lead us through that discussion. You got a sidekick. <laughs> for some odd reason, he seems to like to be quiet for me, but not for mom. <laughs> Hopefully. I may have to just put him down. We'll see. We shall see. We shall see. So did everybody get a chance to kind of read through that chapter, kind of get an idea? I was pretty convicted in reading through it. Um, just about a handful of things, the idea of the covenant um, kind of child-rearing is sort of new to me. Um, and so it was, it was, a, good, uh, it was a good overview um, for me especially. Um, so the first section here, um, where Doug talked about the fountainhead of culture, um, in the first section he sort of discussed how the culture within our homes um, in, our, in our current society um, in our national culture's history has sort of for a long time sort of had an unspoken consensus that the family was sort of adequately biblical in the way it was run. You know, fathers were the heads of household, things like that. Um, but Doug pointed out that regarding the current culture, in few periods of history has there been more widespread confusion about masculinity and femininity and how these two aspects of our being were designed by God to complement each other in a biblical home and in the biblical rearing of children. I mean, any one of us can turn on the TV for five minutes and see how confused it is and how it's really it's driven our overall culture astray as a result of the fact that the church um, family culture has fallen apart um, and we've kind of lost sight of what we're, what we're doing. Um, so I have just a few questions kind of through here as I'm going through this. Um, so what difficulties have you as families encountered by trying to have a biblically governed family while interacting with the culture around us that is clearly very different from that kind of culture. Like, have you guys ever run into any major issues with that? I don't know about major issues, but you know, there's always the occasional, oh, I was talking to so-and-so, uh, whether it's 
cousins, neighbors, perhaps something like that, or friends, friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. And they said this. It's like, whoa, hey, yeah, we don't believe that, or you know, <laughs> yeah. we don't talk like that. Um, you know, it's sometimes glaringly obvious. Um, yeah, but there's just many different thoughts on how to raise kids out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. what they should be partaking of, what they're allowed to partake of. Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like for, for us, it's, uh, you kind of get sort of labeled the wet blanket at any fun thing because, <laughs> because you're the one who's like, eh, we don't really want our kids dealing with that. We don't want to bring that into our, into our family culture, you know? Yeah. Um, or, and it's interesting to me, too, the idea of um, viewing children as a blessing We've gone places. Uh, we were up in Bellingham a few years ago visiting some friends. And in the culture up there, having more than one child is a rarity. And so when we were walking our five kids down the street, we had, I think we had two people ask us if we were running a daycare or a school. And when we were like, oh, no, they're all ours, they were like, oh, okay. You know, it was this really awkward moment. Um, so definitely, uh, I think there's definitely, when you're viewing things um, biblically, it looks a little different to the culture for sure. Um, so I guess, at least, so how do we deal with some of those difficulties when people are saying things that aren't necessarily true about your family? Spencer, I, I have one too that uh, yeah. we often see is, is the idea that uh, the little kingdom of each family, with mm-hmm. the, the head being the husband and the yeah. wife being the, the, the chief, chief captain and the children being the, the, the subjects <laughs> just that that idea yeah. in a culture that is feminized and worships children mm-hmm. and thinks of men as buffoons is very offensive to the world yeah so we definitely we definitely see that well and i've encountered that being uh you know being the breadwinner in the family in a workplace being a nurse it's mostly women you know and you know people like, oh you know sort of ribbing me oh you're the chauvinist husband you know um, which isn't the case, but that's just, and they're, they're doing it jestingly, but there's, there's a grain of, that's kind of how they feel. And it's, it can be a little off-putting to me. Um, obviously, you just take it and move along, but yeah, the, the, our current culture definitely does not uh, revere that kind of um, family government. I think that, just to kind of tag onto that a little bit too, and an anecdotal, on an anecdotal side, was having a discussion with a colleague and one of the things that is becoming more prevalent, talking about the sort of the, the structure that God has placed for the family has in many ways been inverted, where it's now there's actually an encouragement for kids or youth to not view their parent as an authority figure, but actually to usurp authority. And there's even a call where we're starting to see um, this encouragement happening from our government institutions for you to usurp the authority of the parental figure and I know that that's something that uh, we were discussing that's a, a, a big challenge and it's a big challenge for our youth because our youth are receiving a message that uh, this saying hey your parents aren't your authority and yet at the same time we're clearly seeing in scripture where God has called that and so that's a very that's a very conflicting place to be and I don't envy I don't envy the teenager of today mm. um, in that because yeah. it can be a source of great confusion. And I agree with you. It's definitely very topsy-turvy. A lot of, you know, our culture is very much pushing to kids this idea. What do you want to do with your life? How do you want to live your life? How do you want to present yourself? You know, how do you want to label yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And in the midst of all that, Andrew, has, 
has the general public ever seemed so unhappy? <laughs> you know, the ungodly world, have they ever seemed so miserable? They're miserable. They're just yeah. miserable. You know, and, and, and women, worldly women are all about, well, you're the, you're the group that is forced to submit to your husband. And that's a bad thing, you know, this liberation and all this other stuff. I mean, there's a, there's a long, long list of issues that the world has with your family. Um, Doug goes on in this section to discuss how the family government is established by God and how we as parents should uphold that government within our homes. Um, our children are subject to that government temporarily um, and should leave at a proper time. Again, that's something that's very countercultural. Um, Doug states that parents bring up their children to be colonists at the proper time, planting families of their own. Mm -hmm. I think it's good for us to view our children um, that they're going out to be representatives of our family culture and ultimately of God, um, if we're doing it correctly, of course. Um, so like, how are we shaping them? Doug said that it is the duty of the husband to ensure that the shaping is done according to the standards of the Word of God. Um, I found that very convicting. You know, it's, it, having grown up in church and Sarah having grown up in church, it's easy to just sort of, well, we go to church and we have this thing we do. Um, and I don't know, that it just kind of struck me that am I, am I being diligent in that? And Doug went on to talk more about like how we as men need to be diligent and we need to initiate that kind of um, mindset within our home. <clears throat> uh, Doug pointed out that if we have sin and rebellion in our own lives as parents, our children are being brought up under the wrath of God, which I thought was a heavy statement, a very convicting. And he goes on to say that if we're not mindful of our family culture, it creates a cultural vacuum, and outside cultural influences will fill that void. So what are um, the group's thoughts on what we, as, especially as fathers, what we can do to ensure that the cultural vacuum in our homes is getting filled with godly culture and not things outside, outside of that culture? Well, I think it's important to make a, a priority of studying the Bible together as a family on a regular basis and praying together as a family. Um, I think I, I remember I was convicted. I was, we were pretty young and or Connor was really young. I remember, I think it was Connor said this, we were getting ready, we were doing something. I said, well, let's pray about it. And, and Connor looked at me and says, are we about ready to eat dinner? And I was like, oh. That's, that was really convicting that we're not, that we're only praying before dinner or something. And I was just like, man, that's, and that was, that was just a call to me. Like, okay, you gotta be more purposeful about praying in front of your kids, you know, right. like, or with your kids, so. Right. You know, when uh, we have four kids, three of them were just great kids to raise. <laughs> but we would, uh, I, when I say we, I mean we would do many things uh, semi-good together. But one thing I really like to do would be tell stories to the kids. And so there'd be sometimes just stories and sometimes I would use the, those old-fashioned, they were even old-fashioned then, flannel boards and nice. I could get that stuff everywhere and, and the kids loved it. I mean, they, they absolutely loved stories and all kids do. It's not... Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we did let happen because I couldn't compete with cartoons and TV, so that was out, although Anne was a little upset. She said, oh, it's a long day sometimes. <laughs> um, but, but I think that's 
the, I think the principle I'm saying there is that yeah, we do have to separate away from the world because it is very attractive and sin can be kind of uh, attractive and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a it's a tough it's sometimes a tough sell when the kids rub shoulders with many outside influences. Nowadays, I don't know. I let our kids go to school anymore, but it can get rougher and rougher all the time. Yeah. One of the things Doug said that I thought was awesome, I, I was actually trying to find, I, I wrote it down in the, in the Kindle version because I just got this in the mail, but he said a rejection of culture is not the same thing as establishing a biblical mm. culture. Yes. yes. So yeah. just rejecting something is not enough. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and maybe that goes back to what you were saying about the vacuum. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, we get rid of the bad stuff, but what fills it? Yeah, something's going to fill the void, and we have to be careful about what fills it. Um, I was really convicted by this statement here. He said, um, they will either be shaped lawfully by those mm -hmm. um, commanded by God to perform the task, or they will be shaped unlawfully by outsiders. Mm. And you know, it was like, man, if I'm not doing, you know, we're not doing our job as fathers, uh, it's very easy for outside influences to kind of sneak their way in. Yeah, Spencer, one, one of the things I would say as well is, you know, you can think of all these kind of items to consider, but, you know, demonstrably loving your children, men. You know, I was talking to Joel last week, and, I, you know, I, I have dealt with literally hundreds of addicts in recovery, and almost every single one of them have come out of a home where there's at, at the minimum a fractured relationship between the father and that person. I know I, that was my life as well. So just loving your child and paying attention to them and demonstrating that love in a variety of ways just countermands everything that they're getting. And, and you know, so many, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of young men your age have, did not get that model very well and they don't know how to do it. And now, now we're gonna, you know, we're, we're all reaping the whirlwind of this now uh, with single families and all that. So just, just loving your kids and paying attention to them and touching them and stroking them and all of that is just monumental in their development. Letting your kids know that they're Absolutely. cared about it. Absolutely. Jump on the back of that too is, I think, um, Loving your wife in front of them is really important mm -hmm. too. Just the way you treat your wife and honor her and, and support her. I think Doug talked about mm -hmm. that. Um, you know that you're really the heavy hand. You're the mm -hmm. ultimate authority. So anytime your wife is disciplining, that you need to show support. They need to know that you're behind that also. So. I think what, the, what did the say? looming shadow. Yeah, it's yeah. easy. <laughs> they should see your looming shadow when they look at mom. The that was pretty good. <clears throat> Um, it says, uh, so if we are going to overcome our own cultural baggage. We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, Wilson states it this way. Unless true Christian culture is reestablished in countless homes, it will never be reestablished anywhere else. Mm. Um. <laughs> mommy over there, bud? <laughs> You're lucky. You're um, so just out of curiosity, and obviously if you don't want to share anything, don't. What cultural assumptions did any really like, bring into your marriages when you guys got married? Like cultural assumptions about your roles as husbands or wives that had to kind of be overcome. <laughs> My dad always fixed everything as soon as it broke. 
Do you have authority to share this story? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do break a lot of things. Things. <laughs> But it was, a, it was a cultural assumption that that's what husbands did. Yeah. And it's not true. Some yeah. are gifted that way, some are not. But sometimes that's hard to, as a young married, to figure out how does that work. In, in our relationship, Sarah's dad is a, has a wonderful work ethic. Uh, works very, very hard, almost to excess. Actually, I would say your dad's a bit of a workaholic, almost too much. And so it was. There was a little bit of a rift. What are you doing? <laughs> aren't you? You took up overtime today. Why aren't you at work? <laughs> you know, there was. There was some of that. I'm and, uh, You know. So there was. There was definitely some baggage from. Um, you know, and, and I grew up in a home like my dad tended to raise his voice. If dad got involved in a conversation that had become heated, there was the raising of the voice. And so that, you know, carried over into our own family, and it's been something that had to be dealt with, you know. I had the same. I mean, I, me and my two brothers and my dad, argument was a national pastime for us. I mean, we, it's just something we engaged with, and like conflict was like fun. And I brought that into our family, my wife. And uh, it didn't go well. I mean, we'd have discussions. I thought, well, this is fun. We're having a competitive discussion. And it's like, yeah, no, it wasn't that fun. It didn't end well. No. <laughs> so we must, we must be mindful what comes into our homes. And as we men must take the initiative in teaching the word to our family. Um, Doug also points out that we need to encourage our wives when they are faint-hearted. We need to be careful that the maintenance of godly culture does not become a drudgery. Our homes need to be filled with joy and happiness. If there's no joy, our children will, have want, will not want to be part of it. Doug warns us that the involvement of parents must be active and it must be constant. Abdication is possible anywhere, including a homeschooling situation with an absentee detached father. Um, I was convicted in that there's been many a day that I've come home and, um, you know, we have one or two or three or four kids who are being difficult for whatever reason, and Sarah's pretty exhausted. And, you know, after a 12-hour day at a hospital, I'm exhausted, and it's easy to just sort of, you know, well, we're all tired, and we just kind of wade through the afternoon like this. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, um, you know, but those, those, that, that being exhausted kind of adds up when it's not dealt with, especially for Sarah. And, you know, as a dad, it's my job to make sure that she's encouraged and not feeling like this. <laughs> Groaning, tired, poor little guy. Um, anyway, so I think, I think as men, we need to be very, very diligent in, in seeing to our, um, our wife's sanity and dealing with the small ones at home. Um, I like too what, what Doug said about that our cult the our home not becoming like a drudgery. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's something that, that I've dealt with in our home too is we get so focused on the, the outward appearance thereof that we're not really focusing on the heart of the matter and so it becomes a drudgery and then um, occasionally the serfs of the kingdom rebel and uh, you know and that and that's not pleasant for, for all involved. So um, what are some things that we as men are doing to ensure that we are becoming, or not becoming, a detached absentee father? I think the key is active and intentional rather than the sin of Adam, which in many ways is passivity. 
right? I think a lot of a lot of times that you can fall into a position where you're going to end up being passive or apathetic to a situation rather than actively choosing to engage it. And so, um, you know, having an attitude of this too shall pass, sort of like, yeah, abdicating yourself from that responsibility because you're going, well, it'll just, and I think that having an active attitude is a, is a way to try and deal with that. But then also in that activity, active, active in the right ways. So, you know, speaking into a situation uh, in a godly manner, with scripture, something as I was reading that I felt uh, convicted by is that many times I think that I provide good advice but not necessarily God's scripture mm -hmm. advice which is the best advice mm -hmm. so there was a point of conviction of bringing that to a man I think that there are times where I can be intentional but I'm not necessarily being smart with my intentionality what what Andrew is saying that it really rings a strikes a chord with me is the idea of buy-in. So it's like, Doug even says here, he says, uh, fathers must lead in establishing this biblical nature, and mothers must be convinced of the importance of it. Mm -hmm. And so like, how much time are we spending with our wives, you know, steeping her in the importance of what she's doing every day? Because mm -hmm. it can feel like drudgery, but it's the most important job this world has to offer. All the other jobs exist just to support that job, yeah. as Chesterton says, uh, in, in giving her that encouragement that this is incredibly vital, foundational work. You know, when, we, when Kay and I were first married, uh, Kay, Kay's a registered nurse as well, and she would come at home after a 12-hour shift and, and just sometimes just have, just need to unload. So I would listen to her a minute and my immediate response was, I want to fix whatever her issue is. And, and that's the way I was. Just tell me what it is and then I'm going to tell you what to do with that person or whatever it is. You just wanted to fix it right away. I just away. wanted to fix it. I mean, that's how we're kind of wired. But you know, um, I, I came to discover, you know what? All she needs is my attention and my ears. She just, she's, she doesn't need a solution from me. Mm -hmm. She just, I'm, I'm an outlet and I'm a safe outlet for her. And it, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm not the sharpest spoon in the drawer, but it took me a while, but we kind of figured that out. I said, all she needs me to do is listen to her. And there was really nothing to solve, actually, you know, but we're kind of hard-headed that way. I think that's where I really, uh, I mean, this is one of the things that reminds me most of my dependence upon the Holy Spirit is like a lot of us men have trouble even being in touch with their own feelings. So, but we're being called to be have keep a pulse on what's going on in our family and being able to be attuned to that, you know, because it's easy for us to just, we go off to work or whatever, we got all these outlets, we come back and what's everyone grumpy about for? What's going on here, you know, or whatever. It's, it's easy to just kind of flop in and say, come on, clean your mess up or whatever without getting a pulse of what, and, you know, entering in and gently and, and taking some time to understand what's going on and really be a, a help to the situation or a balm on the situation, not a new disturbance that just makes things worse. <laughs> right. sort of, you know? yeah, I, I, I find that in myself too, just sort of, you become just kind of like a bull in a china shop in the situation and you know, you 
plunge on through and end up causing more harm than good in some cases. <clears throat> in the next little section, um, I felt like Doug really put that really reemphasized the weight of parenting to us and the, the importance of it as well as the, um, the spiritual weight of it. Um, when he quoted right right out of the gate, he quotes uh, Jesus um, there in Matthew 18. But whoever causes one of these little ones to stump, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were um, drowned in the depths of the sea. Mm. It's Matthew 18:6. Um, I mean, every any time I've read that scripture or heard that scripture preached on, it's it's alarming, um, and especially as a parent of six children, <laughs> it's like oh. There's a lot of options for, for stumbling here. Um, uh, definitely concerning. Um, and Doug, Doug goes on and says that when we consider the solemnity involved in the task of bringing up our children in the Lord, we should both fear God concerning our children, as will be discussed in the coming chapters, and trust God with our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, it can be difficult, um, at least I know in, in, in our experience, it can be difficult sometimes when you have a, a child who's um, taking some interest in the things of God um, and who's maybe not so sure of things and you're concerned about the state of their soul. Um, it's, it's hard to sort of let go and, and trust God that, you know, if, I, if we you know, keep up praying, if we're diligent and seeing to it that our home is run covenantally and appropriately and biblically, um, God's faithful with his promises. And, he, and Doug talks about that at length towards the end of this chapter. Um, and trusting God in that. Um, furthermore, he goes on and says that we must be servants to our children, but we must not cater to them. Mm-hmm. One of the central problems with bringing up children in our day is the constant temptation to underestimate their capacities. We teach them profane and irreverent little ditties, not psalms and hymns. We give them moralistic little stories, not biblical doctrine and ethics. We expect them to act as though they have no brains or souls until they have graduated from college. We aim at nothing, and we hit it every time. That last line especially I thought was pretty poignant. We aim at nothing, and we hit it every time. And I think that the same thing with the, uh, when we don't see to it that the culture in our home is biblical or godly. It, you know, we're not aiming at anything, and as a result, nothing good results. It's, we, don't, we don't hit the mark. Um, so just out of curiosity, and we kind of touched on this a little bit already, what does family worship look like in everybody's families? Like, does everybody have a specific thing they do? Um, does it change day to day? Just out of curiosity, I'm going to share with the group what everybody does a little bit. We do a lot of singing in the house. Um, just kind of something that I've naturally sort of gravitated toward. Um, Corporate or community prayer is not something that I would say that we do well, um, and in part because I would say that for, for me, a lot of times I will end up using music as a as a mode of prayer. I don't often know the exact words to really say. Um, I, you know, I have some I have some Christianese that I can throw out there that can get me through. Like if somebody's going, "Hey, you know, can you lead a prayer in church service?" Sure, I can do that. Um, uh, and you know, there's heart behind it, but sometimes there's in my own in my own life, even I can struggle with that. And so um, many times that comes out in the form of song. So there's uh, um, 
kind of fortunate to be able to have an ability to play an instrument. So mm -hmm. I, I keep that out. I found one of the things that a pastor told me that I thought was just, I, I think it's critical, is that if you can play guitar, and not every can, obviously, but if you can play guitar, uh, don't keep it in a case. Keep it out. Mm -hmm. Because you will, you will, that one little bit of obstruction from you being able to access that instrument, just have it out. And, and I found that that play one or two songs and commit some to memory, too. Um, and it's, it's amazing to hear even, you know, our, our littlest at uh, just, you know, two and a half. She's singing along mm -hmm. with the songs that you're singing. So, um, right. you know, maybe the words don't carry meaning, but they will at some point, yeah. right? And that's kind of what you're doing that with. So. Well, and, you know, you're bathing the, the home in, in mm. godliness a little bit. You know, you're, truth. you're hearing, they're, they're hearing truth in all sorts of different ways that way. And I would also say, too, that it's not like a, it's not a consistent, like, hey, 6 o'clock, we're doing right. this. It's, you know, oh, I, it's somewhat, it's close to daily, but it's, you know, oh. Yeah. Find a time here, grab, grab it, play. So. We do kind of say things again. It's not daily, but it. Um, I had uh, bought a kind of a family worship. It's sort of a guide. It's got um, catechism questions every day, and then it's got usually there's a hymn, um, which we, we haven't learned all the hymns yet. But mostly we just use the catechism questions, go over those, mm -hmm. and then um, usually there's a, a scripture, and we'll read it and just talk about it a little bit, and then um, sometimes we'll pick a book of the Bible to read through. That part we haven't been as diligent about lately, but. Um, that and we've we've tried reading through um, some some books that um, things like Chronicles of Narnia, mm -hmm. and I've always been shocked at how many times, um, and not to put a great deal of stock in the Chronicles of Narnia, but um, I've always been shocked at how many times something in that story leads to a discussion on something um, regarding God and who God is, mm -hmm. and we end up having a fairly deep theological conversation. Just because it started from you know how one character is interacting with another or something that happened in the story. Spencer, one of the things he uh, says in here that's so important, especially if you have uh, little ones, is that we, um, uh, you know, like uh, the central problems with bringing up children is the constant temptation to underestimate their capabilities, which you just read. But we underestimate our children almost invariably rise to the level of expectation that we set. And when we have low expectations, they produce low, expect, low expected results. And when we have high expectations and we expect them to sit still or when we expect them to um, you know, join us for family worship or sing the song, they almost always do it. And, and then if they don't, then you have your clear sign that, hey, something needs to be further investigated. So I think just having high expectations, even for the little ones among you, is really, really important. I've been shocked a handful of times like in doing our catechism questions when one of the younger ones will ask the question, and maybe it's been a while since they touched on that one, because Sarah goes over them too, I think, in part of their homeschool. But um, there's been times that Sawyer or Elijah will answer the question, and I'm like, oh, I didn't expect that one out of you. You know, so that it can be, it definitely can be a pleasant surprise. Um, where was I? Oh. The foundational assumptions for fathers and mothers. Um, in fulfilling our parental duties and privileges, the Bible is sufficient. I love that he said that. Mm -hmm. um, Christian parents must also remember that discipline is no substitute for regeneration. Um, God, godly discipline must always have a goal which goes far beyond well-behaved kids. Mm -hmm. Mm 
Um, I think, and I, growing up in a family that went to church, um, I can think of a lot of other families, including my own, where there was sort of this, you'll behave a certain way, but there really wasn't that, what's the root of the issue? You know, it wasn't, why are you being disobedient? It was just, this is how we want you to appear outwardly. And um, I think it can be easy for us to get that way, especially in a, if we're you know, not in a place where we can easily pull the kid aside and really deal with the issue. Sometimes we can get kind of complacent. Um, back on the, the Bible being sufficient, though, we have, through the years, we've you know, gathered up all kinds of books on parenting, on godly mm-hmm. living, some of them by you know, I mean Spurgeon and uh, R.C. Sproul. I mean, I could just list names. Tozer, go on and on. They're wonderful books. They're well-written, re- well uh, wonderful to read, and convicting, um, helpful. But I think it's, um, it's really important that we remember that we need to be in our Bible. Because all the ideas in those books, as good as they are, the root of those comes from the Bible. And that's where we really need to be daily as Christians ourselves. Um, so just out of curiosity, like when, um, uh, how, how do uh, we approach disciplining our children? Just out of curiosity, how, do, how does every family kind of approach that? That can be a different thing for people. And I was just curious, I figure it might help some of us. We have three rules, and we stole these from Doug. Um, no lying, uh, obey right away, and, or no lying, no disobedience, and no disrespecting mom. So almost everything can be fit under those three things. <laughs> That's a pretty big umbrella, those three yeah. things, yeah. For sure. I know, it, and that's something I, I was just saw, talking to Sarah before we came here. Um, like I said, this, this chapter was really convicting to me. I, I realized how complacent I had become in a lot of different things. Um, and, uh, and that was one of them, that uh, being more diligent and when we see disobedience and immediately dealing with it, like you were saying, instead of, you know, it has to be dealt with. And, and I, I've allowed a lot of um, disrespecting of mom in little ways. And, you know, then it gets out of hand all of a sudden. And I'm like, why are you acting like this, you know? So I definitely think we need to be very diligent as dads in making sure that the kids respect mom. <clears throat> um, and, this, and this particular statement right here I found quite convicting. In the home, the husband is a picture of Christ. But if he shows no in- initiative in loving, teaching, or admonishing, he is a lying picture of Christ. Mm. In other words, each husband every day is take, talking about Christ through his behavior. What he is saying is either truth or a lie, but he cannot be silent. That's a sobering, sobering thing. Like, we need to be saying the right things to our kids through our behavior. And like, like you mentioned earlier, loving our wives in front of our kids. And so they see how we're treating our wives. And then, you know, that they understand what happens when they treat mom a certain way when they treat her not that way um, and how we deal with it. Um, I like that Doug went on and, and made a comment about how God gives us wives because we need their help. Um, you know, Adam Amen. needed help Amen. and there wasn't, there wasn't a helper for him, so God gave him a helper. Um, he said that we need their insight and their wisdom, uh, their perspective. And I found with having a daughter, too, there's been times that maybe I don't understand Addie for some reason and Sarah has a better insight into that um, or even just in situations that we encounter day to day in our home 
Um, I like this here too. Uh, Doug said, A husband and wife must, through example and words, see that discipline is for the benefit of the children and not for the benefit of the one discipling. The children must understand this principle as well. Consequently, in the home, it is wrong to allow discipline that is not entirely calm. Um, and that goes back to, like I said, I grew up in a home that it was not calm very often. <laughs> and so that's been something I've had to learn um, through the years. <clears throat> um, just out of curiosity, what, when tempers flare in, um, in everybody's house, like, what do we do to ensure that we remain calm as parents? Um, you know, I know for us, so there's been times that we've had a situation that maybe I'm getting, um, I'm getting to a point where the patience is wearing thin. And there's been times that we've sort of tapped out, like, you need to be in here with this child for a minute so I can go take a breather because this isn't going to be pretty if I stay in here. <clears throat> for the Stouts, it's a lot of confession when we fail yeah. as yeah. parents because I, 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 it's, an embar- it's embarrassing how much I lose my temper with them. But every time I lose my temper, God's giving me an opportunity to confess and seek forgiveness. So... And I, I've had similar, same thing, like having to confess to the kids, like, you know, daddy really blew up and I shouldn't yeah. have it. Um, and that can be an amazingly sweet time, though. Is it, and, it, and there's been times that I've been able to point them to, you know, to Christ in that, you know, daddy's messed up, too. <laughs> and I don't always do, just like Paul said, I don't always do what I want to, what I want to do, what I think I should do. Yeah. Um, quite the opposite happens far too often. You know, I think another thing to look out for is in that instance of like being prideful, like when when your kid is being defiant and you're trying to, you know, uh, obey, and you're getting more frustrated, and then your you know your spouse says, "Hey, do you want me to take over for this?" Like even when they're saying that help, you're like, "No, I've got it." But in reality, like you don't have it. You yeah. need to tap out at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to leave. This isn't good. You know, part of the prevention, too, I think, is, you know, often, I know as a parent when I, my children were younger, I would set a boundary, and then I, and then I wouldn't enforce the boundary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, I'm going to give you three to stop that. One, two, and then we hit three, and nothing happens. And, you know, you, you know it's a bit Pavlovian, but the children... They go, well, you know what, he's threatening me, but there's probably not going to be any follow-up. And then it goes on enough, now now this thing has escalated, and, and now I'm in an unreasonable state. So, you know, that's, that's across the board with everybody we deal with. Set a boundary, and you know what, you, you've got to be mutually in agreement with your spouse. If, if they do this, we are going to have to enforce right. it. Are we prepared to enforce a week-long ground or grounding or whatever? And are we not going to cave in on it? You know, um, just got to just got to kind of settle on that, and it takes work. It's not easy to do to do those things. So. I think that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about how, as, as husbands and fathers, we are a representation of Christ in our homes, mm-hmm. and when we're not. We're not, whatever we're doing, we're speaking in some way or another, whether we're telling the truth or a lie about who God is. And, you know, the thing about God is always a man of his word. Yeah. <laughs> He's always, always God of his word. Um, in the garden, God said, here's the, here's the garden. Don't eat that tree. You'll die. Yeah. They ate the tree. They died. <laughs> it's yeah. like there was no, like, oh, next time. You know, it was, it was boom. That's why I said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. 
unless I, unless I heard somebody describe little kids especially, but kids as gamblers, and that if they can get away with something once out of 20, 20 attempts, that will that will put in their head, I can sometimes get away sometimes with this, away. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice. <laughs> I think the other thing along with that is that I just being engaged because sometimes you can I can be in my own thing you know doing my thing and the, I can you can sense if you're paying attention it escalating and a well-placed word by by Papa at the right time could you know stop it before it has to become a disciplinary problem mm -hmm. but but because I'm engaged in whatever I'm doing I just let it go let it go and then it's like okay now I'm gonna take charge you know right and I think being a, being engaged in your family and and having a, a good word at the right time is much better than having to discipline later, you know. So prevention. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Romans two four talks about God's patience and forbearance and all that and how it leads to repentance. I mean, yeah. Not not his hostility or wrath or anything, but rather, you know, we, we offend God and, and we're we know we it hurts us when we do that because He's our Father, and He loves us, and He loves us unconditionally, and we don't want to hurt Him. Mm. So, I mean, all that's all that's been modeled by uh, Christ and His heart of gentleness and lowliness. I thought I'd just kind of um, end our overview of this chapter on, on uh, this quote from Isaiah 65 that Doug had in here. My elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. Um, I think Doug did a good job of pointing out that when we when we live covenantally, when we raise up our children appropriately in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, that we're blessed. God will bless us, and He will continue to bless us for generations. Um, uh, and then he again quoted Peter here. He says um, that this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Um, right. Just encourage everybody to continue to live our, our lives and, and have our family cultures be godly, biblical. And um, I'm excited to read more of this book, actually. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Spencer. Yeah. Thank you for us on that. Spencer was perfect. You had your little one up there with you. Yeah. We were modeling He's it for him. <laughs> 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 All right, we've got uh, one more song to sing here. We're going to sing. I know we've I know we've sang this song many many times during this pre uh, Reformation roundtable, but it's very appropriate for our topic. Psalm 128. Bless the man that fears Jehovah. I like that. All right, yeah. <laughs> now, covenantal, covenantal uh, child rearing means that when God makes a promise to parents for faithfulness unto Him, we believe them. And Psalm 128 is one such promise. Bless the man of Found, and like all infants, our children compassing 
thy table round, and thy God lifts thy children. God bless thy table round. Lord, in that is Jehovah, shall his blessedness attend. For Jehovah out of Zion shall to thee his blessing send. Thou shalt see Jerusalem prosper all thy days till I shall cease. Thou shalt see thy children's children unto Israel be peace. Thou shalt see thy children's children unto Israel be Amen. Amen. Okay, so as, like I said at the beginning, if we were at the point where we were a mission church, um, and we, when we get to that point, this would be the point where kind of almost the culmination of the service. All of the service has been coming up to this point where we eat with God, where we, we sit down to that piecemeal with the Savior. Uh, and, the, and that's what sets Lord's Day worship apart from the rest of the week. Because we can have Bible studies all throughout the week. We can have times of fellowship, and those are all good and blessed of the Lord. But Lord's Day worship, my conviction is that Lord's Day worship is when God feeds us with the sacraments. And so this would be the point where we would do that. And so after, uh, generally what we would do is after God feeds us, and we have the, we have the bread, we pray for it, and we eat it. We have the cup and we pray for it and we eat it. Then we would get our commission. And the commission would be uh, to, as God sends us out into the world. And so listen to the commission. It comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that, bought, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you. Come get it. Thank you. 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 Thank you.